Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Entertainment Plaza in Review with your host, future Hall of Famer Moses Plaza, Master Chief Andy De Jesus, Scott Marshall, the author Guylin Brown, the one they call Smoothie Angel Rivera, and from YouTube.com/slash/psychosics Brian Plaza. This is the Entertainment Plaza in Review. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Moses from the Entertainment Plaza Reviews, and today we are reviewing Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2. So, as you can see, it's just me. I'm on the dolo today. Um, you know, Andy, Guyland, and Angel, they're busy working, and today I had off, so I was like, you know what? It's time to do a review. Um, I remember, you know, well, you guys may have remembered, we did a review on Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick. Both great movies. Top Gun Maverick for me was one that was like top two movie of the year and probably top ten movie for me all time. So at that point I decided, you know what, it's been decades since I've watched any of the Mission Impossible movies. So I said to myself, self, myself said, let's watch the movies. So me and my wife watched them. Uh, we watched part one and part two so far. And I figured, you know what, let me review them and rank them. Uh, Mission Impossible 1 came out in 1996, and I believe Mission Impossible 2 came out in, let's see here, 2000, so four years later. Um, but yeah, let's get right to it. I actually want to go through some of the synopsis with you guys on Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible 2, and then let you know how, what I thought about them and where I ranked them in my Mission Impossible series. So we're definitely going to be doing, you know, 1 through, uh, I believe it's 6. And then the two new ones that are coming out next year and the following year. So without further ado, we're going to go into the synopsis for Mission Impossible 1. And it goes a little something like this. Ethan Hunt, who is Tom Cruise, or Tom Cruise, who is Ethan Hunt, is an agent and point man for an impossible missions force called the IMF team, an unofficial branch of the CIA, led by Jim Phelps, John Voight. In Kiev, the team is working on a mission, a is working on a mission. A disguised hunt is interrogating the, a Russian agent who has been tricked into believing he murdered fellow IMF agent Claire Phelps, Emmanuel Burke, Jim Phelps' wife. Claire has been given a drug to make her appear dead, but the team doesn't have much longer before Claire will be beyond reviving. The Russian finally gives up the name they're looking for and is taking away after the name checks out. Claire is revived, asking if the ruse was successful. Ethan assure her, assures her it was. While in flight, Jim Phelps is given a tape containing a covert mission for his team. The team assembles in a Prague apartment slash safe house to prevent an Eastern European diplomat, Golitsyn, from stealing a non-official cover, NOC, list. A comprehensive, comprehensive list of all covert agents in Eastern Europe. They go over every details of the plan and the equipment they will be using. The mission runs smoothly. Everyone achieves their mission goals, and the team obtains video evidence of Golitsyn stealing the NOC list and exiting the building. Unfortunately, that's when everything goes inextricably wrong. I don't even know what that word means, to be honest with you. Over their radio frequency, Ethan hears his teammate Jack, Emilio Estevez, who is uncredited, unfortunately, in the movie. I don't know why. Dying from getting impaled on a spike after losing control of the elevator he had been riding all night which also happens to be the one Golitsyn used to escape. His other teammates, Hannah Williams and Claire, are killed when their car is bombed with them inside. 
His mentor, Jim Phelps, is killed by an unseen assassin that he had reported was following him on the Charles Bridge. Sarah follows Ethan's orders to pursue Golitsyn, but finds himself being stabbed to death. Being stabbed to death. The assassin grabs her and kills her as well. Ethan arrives too late, only to find them both dead and realizing the disc Golitsyn has used is gone. So yeah, as you can see already, this movie starts out with a freaking bang. Like, I mean, this thing literally from minute one to the last minute, like, it's it's nothing but, like, crazy, you know, action and so on and so forth. So, so far, I am super happy with this movie, you know, as it is. Now, I do have some gripes about it, so we'll get into that a little later, but you guys will see that soon enough. And it's mostly because the movie is a 90s movie, and I feel like at the time they still are yet to, you know, figure out how to make action movies, in my opinion, like they are today. So, <clears throat> uh, so everybody's dead. All right, fleeing the scene, Hunt stops at a payphone to call his agent and alert them of the tragic outcome of their mission. U Eugene Kittredge, who is uh, Henry Zerny, the CIA base director of the IMF, tells Ethan to meet him at a local cafe. Ethan is surprised to find out that Kittredge is in Prague, too. An hour later, Ethan, very much in shock from the previous events, meets with Kittredge, but soon realizes they are not alone. Another IMF team is surrounding them. People Hunt, people Hunt recalls seeing at the embassy. When he questions Kittredge about it, Hunt is disturbed to learn that a mole was inf has infiltrated the IMF with a cover name known only as Job 314, and that the Prague operation was meant to ferret out the mole by allowing him to acquire the NOC list and attempt to sell it to Max, <coughs> an illegal arms dealer known for corrupting IMF agents. The NOC list found in Prague was a fake. The real list is being held at the CIA headquarters in Virginia. With Hunt being the sole survivor, Kittredge assumes he is the mole they were looking for. Realizing he'll be taken into custody before he can clear his name, Hunt mounts a daring escape from the cafe using, ex using exploding red light slash green light chewing gum to blow up a huge fish tank fleeing in Prague's Old Town Square. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, this, this part was actually absolutely nuts as well. That was something, like, I was I was completely blown away by, you know, the fact that, you know, that I, I just can't even explain the amount of action that this movie has literally from minute one to the last minute of the movie. So the whole uh, him being surrounded by 50 people and still getting away, is it unbelievable? Yes. Can Ethan Hunt do it? Absolutely. So Ethan returns to the IMF safe house where he uses the internet to seek out Max. Looking over the screen of his laptop, he sees a Bible on a bookshelf above the screen and deduces that Job 314, which is actually Job 314, actually stands for the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 14. Ethan then assumes the web entity of Job 314 on several different biblical websites and discussion boards and sends out emails to as many Max entities he can find in all kinds of languages. Before falling asleep, he suddenly awakes to the sound of footsteps in the lobby and an intruder entering the apartment. He hallucinates that it's Jim, bloody and dying, but it turns out to be Claire. Still alive and having survived the mission, she reveals she wasn't in the car when it exploded. He tells her about the mole mission, how he's been disavowed by the agency and that he needs to contact Max to seek out the mole called Jope. Ethan receives a reply to one of his emails, telling him to go to a specific intersection in Prague. He is taken to a meeting with Max, finding out that she's actually a woman. Ethan tells her that the disc she received from Job is a fake and likely has a tracking device on it that will activate as soon as she tries to read the disc, allowing, allowing the IMF to find them. Ethan's 
punch is correct, and they flee the apartment, narrowly escaping Kittredge and his team. Ethan then offers to retrieve the real NOC list from Max in exchange for a cash advance and arranging a meeting with Joe. Max agrees to the deal. Ethan uses Max's money to assemble a team of blacklisted and disavowed intelligence agents, including computer expert Luther Stickle, Bing Rames, and pilot Franz Prager, Gene Reno. This guy, so Bing Rames is a huge part of these movies, if you, have, if you don't know that already. I think he's in every single movie along with uh, Tom Cruise. I believe they're the only two who have accomplished that so far. <coughs> Disguised as a team of firefighters, they infiltrate the heavily fortified headquarters of the CIA in Langley, Virginia, under the pretense of a fire alarm created by Luther, who also monitors their movements. After Ethan neutralizes the security guard and Claire slips the tech that works the vault terminal, a poison that makes him nauseous, Ethan is lowered by Prager into a highly secure chamber housing, the only computer terminal holding the NOC list. Now, if you have been watching the stream up to this point, you'll see that I actually put a um, small video clip there of this exact scene, and I'll replay it here in a minute, but for now, uh, we'll keep reading here. Um, Ethan is lowered by Krager into a highly secure chamber housing, the only computer terminal holding the NOC list. While he avoids touching the pressure-sensitive floor and keeps the noise from his theft below a certain decibel <coughs> level, Prager spots a rat approaching in the ventilation duct. He momentarily lets Ethan drop and kills the rat, catching Ethan before he hits the floor. For several minutes, Ethan hangs only inches above the floor, watching almost hopelessly as his perspiration drips down his glasses, threatening to set off the alarm. Eventually, Krager is able to pull Ethan up. At the top, Krager drops his small folding knife, which embeds itself in the terminal's desk. Just as the tech deactivates the alarm, the alarm system, after the man discovers the knife, he sounds the alarm, but Ethan's team is able to escape. Kittredge later tells one of his agents to send the tech to Alaska. So this whole scene was absolutely dope. This is one of the real classic scenes. It was actually a scene in um, Mission Impossible for N uh, N64, one of my favorite games. I know what didn't have great reviews, but that game for me, for some reason, man, I loved it. The team retreats to a London hotel. Once there, Hunt accidentally finds out that the Bible he took in Prague belongs to the Chicago's Drake Hotel, where Phelps claimed to have stayed for a recruitment session. After seeing on the news that his uncle and mother had been falsely arrested for drug trafficking in an attempt to lure him out, Hunt is infuriated and contacts Kittredge, who offers to drop the fake charges the moment Hunt surrenders himself to authorities. Hunt hangs up the phone after allowing Kittredge to trace him to the London area, turns around and walks right into Jim Phelps. Phelps, looking very ill, re reveals that Kittredge was the one who tried to kill him, that he is the mole and that he is trying to lose, that he is tying up loose ends by trying to apprehend Hunt. Ethan listens carefully to Jim while in his mind piecing together the clues he discovered leading up to his own operation and realizes that Phelps is Job himself. Hunt also realizes that Krieger is also involved when he remembers that Krieger uses the same kind of knife that was used to kill both Golitsyn and Sarah. His thoughts, however, are not so clear about Claire's involvement in the conspiracy. He pretends to buy Jim's story and keeps their meeting a secret from everyone else. So, as you guys can already tell, Phelps was actually is actually the mole. He pretended to kill himself um, in the beginning of the movie, and you know, we like my wife and I when we were watching this, we had no idea. So, the next day, Max and Ethan arranged to meet aboard the high-speed TGV train en route to uh, from London to Paris, from London to Paris, with Claire and Luther aboard to provide backup. Kittredge is also aboard, having recently arrived in London and receiving tickets for the TGV and a video watch from Hunt. In the train, Ethan delivers the NOC list to Max, who directs him to the luggage compartment to find his money, 
and joke. Max then attempts to transmit the NOC list to a remote server, an operation hindered by Luther, who keeps jamming the signal to prevent the upload. Player observing Kitra's presence aboard the train vacates her seat and meets with Phelps in the luggage car, confirming that she really is part of the conspiracy. A silent Jim slowly peels away his mask, revealing himself as Ethan. Suddenly, the real Phelps appears, armed and demanding the NOC list money. Ethan... Uh, one second here... Ethan surrenders the money before pulling out a pair of glasses. He slides them over his eyes, activating the camera inside and transmitting Phelps' image to Kittredge, proving beyond doubt that Phelps is still alive and outing him as the mole IMF was looking for. So yeah, once again, as you can see, you know, uh, Phelps was, is the bad guy in this movie. Um, and it's, it's really something that we didn't expect, you know. We thought he was there from the beginning. We thought he may have come back you know, to help Ethan, but he was actually coming back for the money and the NOC list because he is the baddie in the movie. <coughs> Phelps, now revealed as a traitor, shoots Claire in anger when she speaks against killing Ethan. He then subdues Ethan before escaping to the roof of the train, where Krieger, also a traitor, waits to extract him with a helicopter. This scene is actually crazy. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable scene, which obviously, you know, it's a movie, but they're literally riding on top of a a train doing like a hundred miles an hour if not more and there's a helicopter in a tunnel literally a small small tunnel and it's still flying like you know I inverted essentially trying to get uh, Phelps uh, waste, he wastes distracting with a helicopter Ethan recovers and follows Phelps impeding his efforts to escape and tethering Krieger's helicopter to the train as it heads into the channel tunnel the fight continues with the helicopter now following the train inside the tunnel. Freaking crazy. The two fight atop the windswept train before Phelps disconnects the helicopter's landing skids and, atta and attaching explosives. Red light slash green light gum to the windshield. The ensuing explosion destabilizes the helicopter which crashes killing both Phelps and Krieger while Ethan is propelled forward by the explosion and lands hard on the train. The helicopter crashes into the rear of the train and one of the worn down rotor blades stops short of impaling Ethan. Inside the control room, the engineer faints. On board the train, Luther hands the NLC disc over to Kittredge. Kittredge, satisfied that the mole has been neutralized, the NLC list has been retrieved, and he's now holding Max's true identity, reinstates Luther as the IMF agent, and drops his investigation against Ethan, who has supposedly resigned from the IMF. In the final scene of the movie, as Ethan flies home, a flight attendant approaches him and, through a coded phrase, offer his, offers him a new mission. So <clears throat> this is where we go into um, Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 1, I actually really liked it. You know, there was so much good to say about the movie. So little bad. Um, it was so much, um, uh, how do we put it? So much action, you know, so much suspense. Um, a lot of it was unbelievable. But <clears throat> we are now going into Mission Impossible 2. And when you want to talk about the unbeliev unbelievability of a movie, this is it. So um, we're going to go ahead and play, let's see here, a little bit of a scene for Mission Impossible 2. But like I said before, Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000, um, again, starring Tom Cruise. He's actually one of the producers as well of this movie. But here goes the uh, short synopsis. So Ethan Hunt, while vacation, is alerted by the IMF that someone has used his identity, identity to assist Russian biochemical expert Dr. Vladimir Narkovich. Now, the way he's alerted, he's literally freehand rock climbing a, a freaking mountain. It's ridiculous. So, um, unbelievable, right? 
of BioSite Pharmaceuticals to enter the United States, but purposely crashed the commercial airliner en route. Nerkovich, an old friend of Ethan, had forewarned, forewarned the IMF of his arrival, planning to deliver a new virus called Chimera and its cure. Belo, Belo, what? Belrofen. I can't, I can't read that. Both of which he has forced to de- he was forced to develop by BioSite into the IMF's hands. With the crash of the plane, IMF is worried that the virus is out in the open. Believing that rogue IMF agent Sean Ambrose is behind the incident, IMF assigns Ethan to recover it. Ethan is told that he can use two members of his team to help him, but the third person to help him must be Naya Nordoff-Hall, a professional thief presently operating in Seville, Spain, as she will be able to get close to Ambrose being an ex-girlfriend of his. So this is kind of where like the movies start to um, mandate Tom Cruise have like a sexy girlfriend in it. After recruiting Naya, Ethan meets his team, computer expert Luther Stickle, Bing Rames, and pilot Billy Baird, John Poison, in Sydney, Australia, where Biosite Laboratories are located along with Ambrose's headquarters. As Ethan and the others stake out Biosite, Naya gets close to Ambrose and begins to find any information related to the Chimera virus. At a horse racing event, Ambrose quietly meets with Biosite CEO John C. McCloy and shows him a video of the Chimera virus affecting one of Nerkovich's colleagues taken from Biosite. Using the footage to force McCloy to co- cooperate with him, Naya is able to steal the video footage long enough to transfer it to Ethan and his team, who learned that the Chimera virus has a 20-hour dormant period before it causes death through mass destruction of the victim's red blood cell. This is depicted through several increasingly graphic pictures which show the victim dead after 37 hours. Bell Rofen can only save the victim if used within a 20-hour window. The IMF team kidnaps McCloy and learns that Nerkovich had actually injected himself with Chimera, the only way he could smuggle the virus from Biosite, and had all the known samples of Belofarin <laughs> now presently in Ambrose's hands. Ambrose has blackmailed McCloy to sell him the virus for $37 million and promising to return the samples of Belrofen. Ethan's team plans to break into Biosite and destroy the virus. Ambrose, po- po- posing as Ethan, tricks Naya into revealing Ethan's plan. Ambrose secures Naya. So that's one thing. You know, everybody and their mom are using these fake masks. They look super real. So this is like like common technology, apparently, in Mission Impossible Universe, because everybody does it. Uh, let's see here. Ethan is able to destroy all but one sample of the virus before Ambrose interrupts him, and an ensuing firefight begins. Ethan learns that Ambrose is holding Naya and stops firing, during which Ambrose orders Naya to retrieve the last sample. When she does so, she injects herself with it thus preventing Ambrose from simply killing her to get it. As Ambrose takes Naya, Ethan escapes from the laboratory and starts a 20-hour countdown before the virus takes over Naya's body. Because he loves her. Ambrose opts to let Naya wander the streets of Sydney in a daze and orders McCloy to effectively hand over enough control of Biosite to make him the majority shareholder, or else Naya's infection will cause a pandemic that will kill 17 million people in Australia alone. Hmm, pandemic. Sound familiar? Ambrose's plan is to make a fortune when prices of Biosite stock skyrocket due to the demand of Belloferin. I'm pretty sure I've pronounced that about 14 different ways already. Ethan's team is able to locate and infiltrate the meeting, stealing the samples of Belloferin while taking out many of Ambrose's men. Luther and Billy locate Naya, who has wandered to a cliffside, intent on killing herself to prevent Chimera from spreading. As the two IMF agents bring Naya to Ethan, he and Ambrose engage in a fistfight and wild out on Ambrose. With little time left on the 20-hour countdown, Ethan finally gains the upper hand over, over Ambrose and shoots him dead, and then Luther injects Naya with Belofarin. 
Ethan reports to IMF on the successful mission. IMF clears Naya's criminal record and allows Ethan to continue his vacation with her and Cindy. So, yeah, I, part two, it was good. Great story. Um, you know, they avoided a pandemic, which is also good. But, man, when I tell you, like, the action in this movie is so over the top, it was, like, even more unbelievable than the first one. What is what really turned me off, you know? I feel like Tom Cruise came into this movie and said, look, I don't want to be a superhero, but I don't want to be a normal person either. I want to be, like, one step below a superhero. And they definitely did that. Like, the, some of the stunts this man pulled were ridiculous. And that kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. But besides that, you know, it's a good continuation of Mission Impossible, if you ask me. But um, at the end of the day, I still feel like part one was way better than part two. So... Yeah, so that's Mission Impossible 1 and 2. Uh, I hope you really, you guys really enjoyed this. You know, I know I was just kind of reading the synopsis and giving me giving some points. And I'm doing this dolo, so it's a little harder. I have other people giving their opinions. But with that being said, you are watching this on twitch.tv slash the entertainment plaza. So you can catch that live every single time we do a podcast. If you cannot or don't want to catch it live, you can always catch it later on youtube.com slash the entertainment plaza. And also on podcast services around the world. So that's Stitcher, YouTube. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, which is where I listen to all my podcasts. Also, go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're, all, we're everywhere. We're putting up shorts left and right, so uh, please go ahead and do that. But that was my review of Mission Impossible number one and number two. I put Mission Impossible number one as the best movie so far, number two as the second best. I have a feeling, though, I don't know if any other movie's going to dethrone number two because I was really feeling some type of way about it. But anyways, I'm Moses for the Entertainment Plaza. Thank you for watching. Peace.